Um, so Open Sunday Start, actually this next Sunday is our first one, and uh, our family's hosting the first one. And so if you will be in town uh, next Sunday, June 4th, uh, we would love to have you just after church, come to our house, we'll have some food, uh, we'll have some time to be together and enjoy your company. And so please join us, and then if you, really, if you want to host an Open Sunday, if you've been blessed by just an opportunity to fellowship and hospitality, and you want to extend that to the church, uh, I, know there's, I know there's many things happening in the life of your families, and oftentimes this is just like the last ever season you would ever want to host something. Uh, but if it happens that you can and you are able to, and God has given you the season to do this, uh, I know it would be such a great blessing to our church. So consider that, and we would love to have you next Sunday at our church. Now, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. We are going to be in verse 6 this morning. So Galatians 3, 6. And uh, Lord willing, you will know everything you will need to know about Galatians 3, 6 after this. So turn there with me, and um, I hope it will be helpful and edifying. So I will read, um, and then we will pray. Most gracious Father, we need you this morning to comprehend just the breadth and uh, length of your love for us through your word, and thank you that we see you at work as we think of Abraham and as we think of Jesus on the cross. Uh, Father, help us to be humble this morning. Help us to hear with uh, open hearts and attentive minds. Would you focus our minds to the things of you? Would you... Uh, keep any distractions away that would keep us from understanding where our righteousness comes from. Would you help us not to trust in ourselves, but you, would you help us to trust in Christ? And so we need your help this morning to understand these things, to grasp them, to live accordingly. And so, Lord, would you do this good work in us, in our church this morning? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, this morning we will continue um, our series in Galatians, and we will continue the argument uh, from last week. So if you were here last week, oh, sorry, Ben and Neil kind of coming up. <laughs> I was like, I will bring you guys up, and I just totally forgot. Thank you. Uh, we will continue the argument from last week, where if you remember Galatians 3, 1 through 5, Paul is trying to make the argument that by works of the law, no one will be justified. So now Paul has said this in Galatians 2, and now in Galatians 3, he turns around and he's trying to argue with them and say, I want you to be convinced of this. I want you to live accordingly because you are not. And so he gives them a number of arguments. Last week we looked at the first three arguments. Today we will look at the fourth argument, maybe fourth or fifth argument um, in this. And so in the verse, first five verses of last week, Paul mainly appealed to their experiences. He appealed to the Galatians and what they knew from experience to be true. And he called them to live according to what they knew to be true. Now this argument will call them an appeal to the truth of Scripture. Because Scripture bears witness that living by works of the law will only bring a curse and death, but living by faith in Christ will bring life and blessing. So the main point of the passage is that righteousness comes through faith. And I said I was going to read it, and I didn't read it. So let's read Galatians 3.6. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So the point of today is righteousness comes through faith. Now, why does this matter? Why does today's message, why does this point matter for you? Well, ask yourself, 
Have you ever lived thinking that, or feeling that you're just not good enough? In whatever circumstance or area of life, you just feel like you're just not good enough. Maybe you're always fearing people's judgment and opinion of you. Maybe you've tried and tried to gain certain person's approval, and it's just exhausting because you feel like you can never get there. Or maybe you've worked so hard, there's a certain accomplishment that you're looking forward to. You've worked so hard to get that. And now that you've gone there, it just seems so insignificant. It's just like, is this it? Not to drive the point forward, I want to invite you a little bit into my mind, which I know is a very dangerous place, so I'm not going to let you go too far, but let me give you an illustration um, into one of my most recurring dreams. So one of my most recurring dreams, maybe you could say nightmares. Um, silly, but it's just what it is. So whenever I have this dream pretty often, and it's of me back in high school, because I'm in high school. Um, now, if you know me, uh, you know that I moved to the States when I was in eighth grade. So I was in eighth grade throughout high school. I moved a little bit. So it always felt like a very tenuous uh, season. It was like you never really were safe. You never really knew what was happening. And so you move from school to school. The requirements were different. What you needed to do for classes was different. All these things were always different. And so the nightmare takes me back to my high school days. And in this dream, I was about to graduate, okay? So I had just a couple of days of graduating. Maybe Audrey feels this, you know? I was just a couple of days from graduating, and I know that I was like, I can't, I'm so excited to graduate. This is all that matters. All that matters is that I'm going to graduate and be done and move on to the next thing. This is the best day ever. But then for some reason, that day, just a day before graduation, I realized, oh, I forgot to do, like, the biggest project in my high school career. And because of that, I'm not going to graduate. Or I come to graduation day expecting to receive my diploma, and they tell me, oh, actually, you were signed up for a class all year, and you never showed up to it. What are you thinking? You don't deserve to graduate. And at that moment, it's just crushing, right? My biggest fear has been realized. I will fail. I will not graduate. I will be rejected. And now, you know, you're still kind of aware of what's happening. You think everything in my life now is all a lie because I never graduated from high school. So, and I wake up, right? And the relief is just amazing. Okay, no, I'm still good. I'm still here. So again, just the silly illustration of the fears that we may have, that we may not be good enough, because at the core, I think my fear is that I haven't done good enough, and so I will be rejected. And I think in many ways, for many of us, it's a fear, and we feel that we need to measure up. We feel like we need to be good enough. We have to feel like we have to do more. Maybe it's with your job, right? Maybe it's with your job. You always feel like there's always something and missing. Maybe it's with your extended family, and you always feel like you just can't really fit in with them, and you just have to do more in order to gain their approval. Maybe it's with your closest relationships, right? Maybe even with your spouses, with your children, you still feel the need to do this. The church, Maybe even with God, right? This is the most important. Maybe with God, we act the same way. And we feel like we can never do enough to please God. Because after all, you see yourself and you think, how could I ever be made right when God is so holy and I'm so sinful? So my hope this morning is that you will find Christ to be everything that you need. So let's look at our passage this morning, Galatians 3.6. I'm going to read it many, many times and maybe you'll have it memorized by the end of today. So Galatians 3, 6, Just as Abraham believed God, 
and it was counted to him as righteousness. All right, I believe I'm going to provide to you a twofold argument from this verse. And so I think there's two main arguments that we'll look at this verse. The first one, and the main clear one, is that righteousness comes by faith. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So the main point is that works of the law cannot make you righteous. You cannot be made right by your works of the law. It's only through faith. That's the main and second point. But the first one we're going to look at is um, actually the example of Abraham. Because Paul could have just said, Righteousness is found through faith alone. But instead, what he does is he says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He recalls something that the people should know, have studied. He knows that they want to be found with Abraham. And so Paul, what he's doing here to the Galatian church is he's appealing to them, appealing to the Jewish crowd. Okay, they think highly of Abraham, and he's calling to mind this patriarch or the faith and so he's arguing with them that Abraham, what he's arguing is that Abraham had faith over works. So in other words, Paul is saying, Paul is claiming Abraham. Paul is saying, Abraham, this guy that you all look up to, he is on my side. He had faith over works. And that's a big deal to them. That's a really big deal to them. Paul is saying, you claim to follow Abraham, but are you actually following Abraham's example? And so the question that has to be answered is, was Abraham justified? Was he made righteous before God by works of the law or by faith? This is important because if Abraham was saved by faith, then if they're following after Abraham's God, then they would want to be found with faith. Would you know how to answer this question? Somebody asked you, was Abraham saved by faith or by works of the law, would you know how to answer this? Would you know how to prove this from Scripture? Because this is something that is still, I think, today, right? There's many religions that want to claim Abraham. They want to claim that they follow Abraham, and yet they would say that salvation comes from, by works and not by faith. So you have some examples, right? You have the Jews. Pretty clear example, right? Starting to the Jewish crowd, too. The Jews today, they claim to have faith in God, right? The God of Abraham. But then they miss God, the real God, because they reject Christ. You have the Muslims in Islam. Okay, they, they have all sorts of things wrong, but they reject the notion of original sin. They say there is no such thing as original sin. And so they say, I can be made right with God by my good works. If I obey the Torah, they claim, then I will be granted the ability to enter into paradise. And Abraham is a really key player in the Muslim faith. You have other ones. You have the, I don't know how to say this, Baha'i faith. Um, they're also followers of Abraham, in a sense. And we actually have a church here. I don't know if you knew this. We have a Baha'i temple church here in town. I don't think there's many in Indiana, but we have one in Bloomington. You know, to have extent, you have the Rastafarians too. Um, and so all these religions, they think that righteousness can be found in what you do, in your obedience to the law. But that's not how Abraham found righteousness, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. The question is, was Abraham saved by faith or by his obedience? Paul tells us Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. So the question is, is Paul just making this up? Is Paul just coming up with this new idea, this idea that, Paul, that Abraham believed God? No, 
if you see this, uh, if you recognize in your Bible, Paul is actually quoting from a previous passage in Genesis. And so uh, I think it'll be up on the screen, but if, even if it's not, I want you to go ahead and turn to Genesis. Genesis chapter 15. And I'm just going to read verses 1 through 6 for you to see what Paul is alluding back to. So Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram, Abram, previously Abram, now Abraham, in a vision. It says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram, Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And here we go. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham, in this passage, had confidence that God would do as he had said. Now, in this case, God had told him, right, that he would give him a son who would be the heir of the promises that had been bestowed upon him. And yet, now Abraham finds himself, and he's almost 100 years old. His wife is almost 90 years old. And he's thinking, God, you promised that you were going to give me an heir. You were going to make me fruitful. And yet here I find myself an old age, and I don't have a son. I'm still childless. Will you make your promises known through somebody else who's not in my family, through a member of my household? That requires a lot of faith. And God promised and said, I will make you as numerous as the stars in the heavens. And what did Abraham did according to all reason? And this is, seems foolish in the eyes of the world, right? That somebody who's almost 100 years old and 90 years old, that God would grant them a child. But Abraham did against what seemed reasonable and believed in God. Believed in God, had faith. Against all reason, Abraham had confidence that God's word was certain. And that's faith, right? That, that is faith. So for you, as you think about it for a little bit, if sometimes other people look down on your faith, just remember, you're in good company. You're in good company. The Christian faith is crazy to this world, right? Think about what you believe according to God's word. Think about the things that you believe from Scripture. You believe that God became a man. That is ludicrous in the eyes of many people. You believe that God, who became a man, was born of a virgin. People will say, that is impossible. You believe in the flood, you believe that God, this man, actually would die, and he would do so willingly. And then you believe that God can actually raise the dead. People ask you, well, where's, where's your scientific proof? Where's your journals where that happens? And you think, reason alone cannot lead you to faith. If you, if you trust in reason alone, you will not be led to faith. So church, if you have believed this, if you believe that God can do the impossible... Can you believe that he will care for you? Can you believe that he will do as he has said that he would? Can you believe that he will sustain you? 
Can you believe that he has not actually deserted you? Trust in faith. Trust in faith more in reason, even if it stands against everything that the world wants to stand for. Live by faith and not by sight. Because God's power is not bound by probability. God laughs at probability and says, I will do what I will do. Your first duty as a Christian is to believe. And so believe, church. Believe. Have faith. Whatever you find yourself in this morning, you think, could God really do this? Trust in God's word and what he has promised to his children. Because Abraham believed. Abraham believed against all reason. God delivered. And because Abraham believed, his faith was credited to him as righteousness. But let's press on just a little bit more. Okay, Come with me just a little longer. Was Abraham saved by works or by faith? Maybe, some would claim, maybe Abraham had just done enough good things, had just presented himself, done enough to be seen by God, and said, oh, look, Abraham's a pretty good guy. I should probably go and bestow my blessings upon him. Maybe Abraham had done enough to make himself worthy of receiving God's promises, and then God gave him the faith to believe. Is that what happened? Turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4, because as we will see, Abraham was made righteous not by his ability to obey the law, but only by faith before the law. You're going to be flipping with me quite a bit if you're willing, so thank you for that. Just this idea of our righteousness by faith is all throughout Scripture. That's what I want you to see. From the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, righteousness comes by faith. And that's the case through all of the Old Testament, through the New Testament, and it is for you today. Romans 4, 1 through 6. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Sound familiar? Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Abraham was counted righteous before God, before the law came. Before God could give him his law and his commandments and his requirements, Abraham believed God and he was counted righteous. His righteousness could not have come from the law because he didn't have that yet. In fact, it wasn't even until Genesis 17 that circumcision came. Right? And so if you think Abraham did enough, he kept all these things, God hadn't given him a lot of these things. And yet Abraham believed God and he was counted as righteous before the law came, apart from the law. When God called Abraham, he was serving other idols. And yet God gave him saving faith that granted him righteousness. The unrighteous idolater counted righteous because of faith. That's amazing. And so, this morning, we can have confidence that Abraham was made righteous, not by works of the law, but by faith. Abraham is on our side. Any other religion that claims that Abraham, claims Abraham but fails to put their trust in Christ, apart from the law, does not know the God of Abraham. And now, before you start boasting that you know this, and all the people that you know do not know this, church, praise God 
that he has given you the privilege to hear this and to believe this. This is not something that you came up with. This is not something that you and your own strength believed in. This is a gift of God. God did this for you. So there's no room for boasting. There's no room for boasting. Now to the heart of today's message. So we see Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. The argument is that faith is better than works. And the, one of the reasons why we see that today is because works cannot make you righteous. No matter how hard you try, if you want to be righteous, your works cannot make you righteous. Only God can, through faith. By works of the law, no one will be justified. And so a person is justified, not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus. Now, what is justification? We throw this term around a lot. You usually think of, okay, we're saved, we're justified. But in simple terms, and we don't, I don't want you to miss this, simple terms is a legal declaration, legal declaration that a person is righteous. Okay, so when God counts somebody, someone justified, he says, he is the judge, and he looks at that person and says, I am going to grant you righteousness. I will count you as a righteous man or woman. This is important, because if you want to be saved, sometimes you just think, I need my sins atoned for. I need someone to pay for my sins. And that is true. That penalty is great, and you cannot pay for it, but you need more. You actually need to be righteous in order to stand in front of God's presence. You need to be made righteous. You cannot just be a blank slate before God. You can't just be sinless. You actually have to possess a righteousness that grants you the privilege to be a part of God's family. God's family is full of righteous people, righteous children, not blank slates. And so you need more than the payment for penalty of your sins. You need to be made fully righteous. And you know this, right? You know this in your own heart. Jesus himself says, you must be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. If you want to have any chance of being before God, you must be perfect. This is heavy stuff, and that's a problem, because you hear this and you say, well, I'm out then, right? I'm not righteous. I have disobeyed God's word over and over again, even this morning before coming to church. I know that the stain of sin is all over me. I don't deserve any good. I know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so maybe, maybe you know this and you say, okay, I want to be righteous. So I will try really hard. A lot of us are reactions of this. Is, I will just try harder. I will do better. I will obey all of God's commands. From now on, maybe God will see this and say, from now on, Esteban now started obeying. Now he will be counted righteous, right? I will work hard and I will earn this. But what happens when you try this, okay? Because all of us have tried this. And what happens when you try? Eventually you fail. If you know yourself, pretty quickly you fail. And then you're reminded again that you're unrighteous and you cannot do this. You think that you're righteous based on your ability to keep the law, right? Simple. You think that you're more righteous when you've sinned less and you're less righteous when you're sinning more. That's just what you think. The more you obey, the more righteous you are. Then you think, well, maybe I won't be perfect, but I'll be better than my neighbor. All of that, forget all of that. Abraham was righteous before the law, apart from the law. The measure of your righteousness is not found in your works. It's not found in what you can do. 
Any effort at trying to make yourself righteous on your own efforts will be futile. Futile. The law, if you live by it, will only condemn you. The law cannot give, cannot make you righteous. The law only condemns. It only gives failing grades. Okay, so if you're trying to think, it's, again, the school analogy. If you want to be made righteous, have a perfect report card, but you're living by the law, the law only gives failing grades. The law only says you're lacking, you're lacking, you're lacking. It can never justify you. If you're thinking, again, this illustration, maybe you're graduating, you're trying to get into a prestigious school, and you want to be accepted, and you want to say, here's my report card. Your report card is full of failing grades if you're living by the law. In fact, if you look at your report card, you've actually failed so miserably. Your report card is so hideous that the committee that's looking at it won't even look at you and say, you're not welcome in here. This is not good enough. If you want to be accepted, you need a perfect report card. So that means, right, that you need someone else's report card. How will you be counted righteous? How will you be counted righteous to stand before God, just as Abraham was, by faith? And not just any faith, faith in Christ. Abraham believed God. And that's the emphasis of the whole verse. Abraham believed God. Those two words should always be stuck in your mind. Believe God. And therefore, righteousness was credited to him. Christ's perfect righteousness was credited to him. This is the doctrine. This is ready for a big word. This is the doctrine of the imputed righteousness of Christ. The imputed righteousness of Christ. What does this mean? In simple terms, it's the idea that when sinners believe in Christ, with works, with, with, when sinners believe in Christ and what he's done on the cross with faith, so you believe, as Abraham did, then the righteousness of Jesus is credited to those sinners with faith as if it was theirs. So if you this morning have believed and trusted in Christ as your Savior, Jesus' righteousness has been credited to you. Imputed, this word, big word, imputed means that it has to come from outside of us and has to be given to you. It is credited to you. Jesus actually gives you his righteousness. And how great is his righteousness? Perfect righteousness, right? Met every single little bit of the law. Let's look at a couple of verses again. Again, let's go back to Romans 4, 3 to 6. So if you go back one slide there, Elias, if you would. Um, Romans 4, 3 to 6, just so you see this again. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just stop there and then look at Romans 3. So next slide, 3, 21 to 22. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. How will you be made righteous? Through faith. And then finally, we read this verse earlier this morning, 2 Corinthians 5.21. 
For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Again, it's this transfer idea, the substitute idea. I deserve to stand, I deserve to die on the cross. You deserve to die on the cross because of your sins and the wages of your sins. Jesus deserved to be free and receive all the blessings of God. And he traded places with you. He took his sins upon his shoulders, your sins upon his shoulders, and now he is giving you his righteousness if only you'd believe with faith. You have a choice. You can choose to follow Adam or you can choose to follow Jesus. If you want any chance of being accepted by God through Adam, you have to obey all the commands of God perfectly, without fail. And you can't do that. The kids this morning are actually going to be learning about Solomon. And, you know, Solomon's wisdom, but this morning's lesson is about how Solomon failed. And even though he was given great blessings and bestowed great things and much wisdom, he still trusted in women, trusted in his riches and his wisdom instead of God, and he turned to idols. No one can do this, even ones who have been blessed. Don't sit here thinking that you've been so blessed that God can never give you trials to help you believe this. Only one person could, right? Only one person can fulfill all of the commands of God and be righteous, and that's Jesus. And so if you choose Jesus, and you live by Jesus in faith with Jesus, it is his righteousness that is given to you, and that makes you fit to dwell with God. So you have to have that righteousness. You have to have the righteousness of Jesus if you want to be in God's family. So the imputed righteousness of Christ means that when Jesus died on the cross, he gave you that righteousness for those who would believe with faith. He did it for you, for you, church. And so another illustration. Maybe let's think about a bank. You have a bank account. You think about your debt to God, right? You're in debt to God for all the bad things that you've done, all the ways in which you've failed him. You can never pay this debt. Even your good works cannot ever make up for what you've done. You deserve to be punished for the debt that you have before God. But that debt was put on Christ when he died on the cross, and then Christ's bank account was actually given to you. The riches, the blessings, all of that graciously given to you because Jesus saw you and loved you and has given you faith to believe. So now you are rich in Christ. Not because of what you've done, but because in whom you believe. And that's the important part, in whom you believe. I know I'm repeating myself over and over for emphasis, but maybe just, let me just read you from Luther. We have this quote up from Luther. Yes, if you can see this. <clears throat> I think he says it really, really succinctly and clear. So Luther says, Two things make for Christian righteousness. Faith in Christ, which is the gift of God. And two, God's acceptance of this imperfect faith of ours for perfect righteousness. So God actually made it possible that your faith would grant you righteousness. How? Because God accepts even your imperfect faith for perfect righteousness. Because of my faith in Christ, God overlooks my distress, the unwillingness of my spirit, my many other sins. So because of the shadow of Christ's wings covers me, I have no fear that God will cover all my sins and take my imperfections for perfect righteousness. Okay, which one would you rather have? 
your unrighteousness or Christ's perfect righteousness? I think the choice is clear. So the choice for you is, will you live by faith? Will you live by faith? But don't have faith in your faith. Okay? Don't get tripped up and say, I believe in my faith because my faith is so great, then I should be given these things. No, your faith is not the cost of your salvation. Your faith is only the means that God uses. God is the one who makes you righteous through Jesus, and he's used faith as the means for you to come before him and receive that perfect righteousness. So for all of you, have faith. Have faith that even, even your weak faith, even that faith that is so small that sometimes you're not even sure that it's there, have faith that God is the one who could turn that weak faith and make it effectual to grant you his righteousness. Praise God, right? Praise God that you can do that. So if you have believed, if you're sitting here and you have believed in Christ, Christ's righteousness is yours. Now when God sees you, he sees the righteousness of his son. And now he will judge you accordingly. That's good news. That's the good news that we preach to unbelievers. Because this is an amazing thing that you could do. There's many people in the world who are even afraid to be in the, with their own thoughts because they know that their own thoughts condemn them. And so they want to just drown those thoughts and say, I will think of anything else. And to think that they can have peace, that they can also be made righteous because of Jesus. Not only forgiving them, but actually giving them perfect righteousness. And maybe you're here, and you're still struggling to believe this. And this is common for all of us. We still struggle to believe. Could God really do this for me? Maybe this is true for Abraham. Maybe this is true for Paul. Maybe this is true for Neil. But is this true for me? Is this true for you? Sitting here. One more verse I want you to look at. Romans 4. Romans 4.20. We're going to read 20 through 25. Paul says, No, and this is regarding Abraham, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, hear this, were not written for his sake alone, but for who? But for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It will be counted to us who believe. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to be made right with God? Do you believe that Jesus' righteousness is the only righteousness that is found? That there is no righteousness found in any other but Jesus Christ? And will you put your trust, have you put your trust in him, saying, I will live for him as he has died for me? Have you done that? And if you have done that, then you can believe and say that the promises of Abraham are yours, that you are also a son of Abraham. Just like verse 7 in Galatians 3, if you're still there and you haven't, lo haven't lost you. 3.7, the next verse, it says, Know that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. If you have that faith, and God has granted you that faith, then that righteousness is yours. So believe God. Don't believe in yourself. Don't, believe, don't look at your own heart. Look at God. Look at God.
The point is not to look at yourself and judge yourself worthy or unworthy. It's not your call. God is the judge. The point is to look at Christ and his infinite worth and now believe that in Christ you are righteous. It feels contrary, right? I tell you this, you're righteous and you think, there's still something in you that's wrestling because I feel this. This whole week I was wrestling with this, like the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and yet I see myself and it's like, how could this be true? Because I see myself and I think this doesn't feel right. Well, maybe we'll get to that here in a second. I'm jumping ahead of myself, but um, why does this matter? Why does this matter? Why does it matter that you are righteous? Well, maybe, maybe let's just think of a very unrealistic scenario. Maybe this will help you. Maybe not, but maybe this will help you. So, very unrealistic scenario. What if you could actually keep all the laws of God? What if you actually could and you had kept all the laws of God and you could be made righteous because of your obedience? Let's just assume for a second, very bad scenario, but let's just assume for a second that you were there, that you could do this, and that you had done this, and that you've gone however many years of your life, and you could say, wow, I actually have never sinned. I have never disobeyed God. I'm a pretty righteous person. And let's just say that God would do that, would look at that and say, you are a righteous person. You kept all the laws of God. What would you do if you were righteous on your own? How would that change the way that you live? One way, I think, is you could come before God without fear, right? What would you have to fear? There would be no judgment you could fear because you have kept all the laws. You are righteous. You could enjoy fellowship with God, right? There would be nothing standing in your way. There would be no conflict that you would have with God, and so you would have no issue coming before God in fellowship and sweetness. And you even just think of the difference when you have conflict with someone and going to have lunch with them. Like, that's a pretty tense meeting. And then you go to have lunch with someone that you love, who's seen you, who's been with you, who knows you, and you're free with. That's a sweet meeting, and that's what you could have with God if you were righteous on your own. Not worrying about judgment or conflict. I would also argue that if you were righteous on your own, you would deserve some merit, right? Some credit, some praise. You could look at other people who aren't keeping the law and say, hey, look at me, I am actually righteous on my own. You would deserve some glory for that ability. You would rightly expect glory because you have done enough. All right, let's step back out now because you have not done that. That's not true. You can't earn it. You've done the opposite. But in Christ, right, in Christ, you are still counted righteous. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done. And so the same is similar is true for you. You can actually come before God without fear. You fear him who's God, and yet at the same time, you don't, this fear that, this, there's a certain fear where you can come with God, ask your father, and still acknowledge his greatness. So you can come God without fear of judgment, not because of your righteousness, but because Christ has made you righteous. You can have fellowship with God. Even though when you don't think yourself as worthy, you can have fellowship with God, not because of your righteousness, but because of Christ's righteousness and how he has reconciled you to the Father. And you can give glory where glory is due, right? That glory would not go to you. That glory goes to Christ. You can glory Christ because of what he has done for you. And so this has so many implications. So many, so many implications. Your righteousness... And actually, this next, next on the screen. Your righteousness in Christ means that you can now have peace with God. 
Your righteousness in Christ means that you don't have to fear condemnation. Your righteousness in Christ means that you are accepted by the Father. Your righteousness in Christ means that you're blessed. Your righteousness in Christ means that you can rejoice even in sufferings. And there's verses up there. Um, if there's one particularly that's tricky that you can write down. Remember, your righteousness does not come from man. Your righteousness does not come from your ability to be sinless. Even if you kept the whole law this week, you would still not be sinless because that's not where righteousness comes from. The righteous man trusts in Christ, and that is his all. And so as you believe that Christ's righteousness can be yours through Jesus, you can actually rest in the grace of God. The doctrine of Christ's imputation should create in you a thankful heart. You can have freedom now to serve him and to do the things that he's commanded you to do, not because those things earn your righteousness with God, but because he has given you that righteousness, and now you can just live for him in praise and glory. Wouldn't you want to live for that God who's done everything for you? His righteousness is enough. And so, when you come to the end of your life, right, and you know that you know, the end will come soon, and you're on your deathbed, and you're wondering, did I do enough? Did I do well enough before God? What will happen to me when I die? You don't have to fear. You don't have to fear, because if you are in Christ, you stand on His righteousness, not on your own righteousness. You don't look to you and to yourself. You look at Christ and what He's done. And you know that His righteousness is more than enough to bring you into God's family that you will be accepted into your Father's arms. And this idea, even if death seems far from you, the idea and the hope of heaven should be a comfort to all of you. It really should. Right now, you really do live in conflict with yourself. You, you're counted righteous in Christ, and yet you still dishonor your Savior. God has made you His child, and yet in many ways you act like His enemy. Yet the comfort of heaven... And the hope that we have that we will be with Jesus forever is that the sin-cursed world will be done away with once and for all. You will be glorified with Christ. The sin that plagues you will be removed for you once and for all. One day you will not live with this conflict within you, this turmoil. You'll be free from sin and all of its consequences. And that will be a glorious day. And we can look for that with hope because of what Jesus has done. He did all of that because he loves Jesus. God the Father loves Jesus. And because you're found in Jesus, God loves you. God loves you not based on what you've done, but because of what Christ has done. Will you be found in Jesus? Will you reject the ways of Adam? Will you reject the ways of your heart? And will you say, Jesus is more than enough for me, and I will rest on his grace? Finally, I'll just say this. Your righteousness with God changes how you relate with God. You can come before God, trusting with faith. But yet, it also changes how you relate with your fellow man. At least it should. If you believe that, Christ, that your righteousness is not based on your works, but on what Christ has done, and faith as the instrument of that, then you don't have to live for the approval of man, right? You don't have to live always fearing what people will think of you. Because even if the whole world is against you, and speaks evil of you unjustly, and they tell you that you are a terrible person for believing what you believe, 
What they think does not matter because God has declared you righteous in Jesus. You are accepted by God the Father, and that is far, far, far better than what any man can think of you. Man's opinion of you can't make you righteous. Only God can. You don't have to fear rejection. Secondly, you can also welcome sinners. You can welcome sinners. You can love others, not solely on what they do for you or what they don't do for you. You don't have to hold this high standard for everybody you come into contact with that is like, if you don't measure this standard, then I will not be your friend. I will not be around you. No, you can welcome others as Christ has welcomed you. Christ welcomed you. God welcomed you into his family through Jesus because he loves Jesus. And so you now, in Christ, have the ability to love sinners because you've been loved first. And so your ability to love sinners will be a really good measure of whether you're living as if you've been made right, as if you have been made righteous in Christ. Love one another, church. Love that person that's really hard to love with because you have been loved and accepted by the Father. So would you draw near to God? Would you draw near to God without fear? Would you come before the throne of God, most high, with confidence, knowing that it doesn't depend on you, not your own merit, but on Christ, and it is in him that you are accepted? And now you can have peace and joy and security in your Father's everlasting arms. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that all these things are possible not because of us, Father, if it was up to us, we would be lost eternally. And would you forgive us for the ways that we try to take matters into our own hands, Lord? Would you forgive us for believing that we are better than other people? Would you make us humble? Would you help us to recognize that we have no reason to boast? We have no reason to think that we are greater. Because any righteousness that we have comes not from our own works or our ability to obey you, Lord. It comes from you. And it is a gift of you that we have not earned. So, Father, forgive us for the ways in which we look down upon others. Forgive us for the ways in which we look down upon Jesus Christ and the cross and what you've accomplished through it. Would you help us to believe it and to hold on to it with faith? And, Lord, as we do that, would we experience the blessings that come from obedience and seeing you and trusting you and experiencing your joy and your fellowship and your peace. Thank you for caring for us and drawing us near. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.